0: We'll go ahead and be um, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We are continuing on through our series through the book of Acts. And so we've got a big chunk to cover. We're going to do big parts of Acts chapter 3 and 4 today uh, to get get us uh, going through here. Uh, There was a man, uh, Carl Valentine, who was a comedian Uh, who performed during the early 1900s. Um, He was, uh, some called him the Charlie Chaplin of Germany. So he he played in these silent films. You can imagine the kind of character that he was. Uh, There was one particular sketch that he did uh, where the curtain goes up and the stage is completely and totally dark until a single light comes down from a street lamp onto the stage. And in this sketch, he is walking in circles around this light looking for something. He is trying to find the key to his house that he has lost. And he is trying, looking and looking, and a policeman joins in and starts looking with him. And the policeman jumps in eventually and says, Are you sure this is where you lost it? And Valentine says, No, it's over there, but this is where the light is at. You know, sometimes we stay where the light is at instead of venturing out into places that may be uncertain, places that may be unsafe, places that may be unpredictable. We we want to stay here because this is what I know. This is what can be seen. This is what is predictable. But the reality is there's something further out there that we're just nervous about getting to. We're scared to get to. And so we're in this incredible story through the book of Acts, the story of of this church that is forming around the resurrected Christ, this new community that is forming, and we see them taking these bold actions, all empowered by the Spirit, In Acts chapter 1, we have this image of the resurrected Christ telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and in their waiting, they don't just sit around and do nothing. There is this active waiting in which they are praying, and it's when they're in this upper room praying that the Spirit descends on them, and not in a simple way. The Spirit comes blowing through this room like a violent wind, and, and fire comes down and tongues on each of them. And in this moment, these 120 disciples start speaking the native languages of everyone around them. And of course, this draws a crowd, a crowd that says, what does this mean? What is it that God is doing through this? And so Peter and the apostles get up and stand before the crowd and and reframe what it is they have seen and experienced through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. And they say, what must we do? What must we do with this new reality? And Peter calls them to repent, to turn, to reorient their lives in a new way. And there are 3,000 people that respond and are baptized that day. And so this is an incredible high point of the story, but it doesn't end there. Last week we continued on to see how this community completely reframed how they reacted and lived together. Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of a church that that stands in stark contrast to the culture around it. Because of what they have experienced, they have devoted themselves to learning. They've devoted themselves to fellowship. They have devoted themselves to meals, eating with each other. They have devoted themselves to prayer. The gospel has completely changed their lives, and, and they are embodying that gospel in new ways. They're living out the gospel, in this newfound community. And it's a life that is fully dependent on God, a life that is surrendered to the Spirit. Life as usual is done. Life as usual is interrupted because of the gospel. Lives are changed. And so their behavior is pulled into a totally new direction affecting how they relate to one another, how they care for one another, how they prioritize their time and their talent and their treasure. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. The church did not just stop with that growth of 3,000. It continued to grow. And so now our story today takes us to Acts chapter 3. Continuing on through. this is a story that, that moves into the public sector. We have these gatherings in private rooms, and now we go into the temple courts. And the power of, of God to bring healing to some brings astonishment to others and threatening to others, threats to others. We see these reactions to God's work. Astonishment, anger. People whose interests are now being threatened. And so we don't really know what the timeline is. Is this the day after or a few days later? It says, one day, Peter and John. One day. But we can probably assume that it's somewhat connected to this previous episode, that the the people who are seeing Peter and John on this day in Acts chapter 3, they've experienced and witnessed the things that have been happening over the last several days. And so let's read through Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Remember, they devoted themselves to prayer, and they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple courts. Here they are, devoting themselves to the temple in prayer. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for the only thing he knew to ask for, and that was money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, but the man won't look at them. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. They know who this is. They have seen him coming in and out of the temple. As they come in and out of the temple, they have seen him on the outside every day. They recognize him as the one who sits begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, an ironic name for a place for a beggar. And they were filled with wonder and amazement At what had happened to him while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So now we see this miraculous work happening on the outside of the temple where the man is left to sit on the outside looking in. Peter and John are, are maintaining their disciplines of prayer, maintaining the traditions of prayer. And they move from the gathered disciples in, in the private rooms where they were devoted to learning and to fellowship and meals, and now they move out into the public spaces, the public spaces of the temple. And they get to the gate, a gate called Beautiful and they encounter this tangible demonstration of insider versus outsider. Because the lame man is certainly an outsider, sitting outside of the temple, outside of the gates, this crippled beggar. And so this man is healed in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And it is the name of Jesus... The name of Jesus that is the direct link between the living and active God and his community here on earth. It is the name of Jesus that heals. It is the name of Jesus that is laid upon each and every Christian at baptism. It is the name of Jesus that gives authority to the disciples teaching and preaching. It is the name of Jesus that believers are ready to die for. It is the name of Jesus. And the people are astonished. After the man is healed, he jumps up and he goes into the temple. He's no longer left on the outside because not only does healing in Jesus' name allow him to walk, but healing in Jesus' name now brings him to be a part of a community. He's now an insider. He's now a part of this new community. He's now walking, he's jumping, and he is praising God on the inside. And so you can imagine the scene that is being created here where someone who cannot walk is now walking. Someone that they have have known from birth to be unable to walk is now walking in their presence, and not only that, he is jumping and praising God. They are astonished at what they are seeing. So let's continue in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you you killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus this man whom you see and now you see and know is has made strong It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you will see, as you all can see. And then in verse 19, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so Peter sees that this crowd is amazed. And he could just pause there and just let them be in awe of this miracle that's happened. But Peter jumps in and takes action. He speaks up. He, he works to reframe what it is that they're experiencing. He could have just let them, the man continue to praise God. He could have just moved on to the next thing. But he uses this as an opportunity to witness, uses this as an opportunity to, to declare the power of God to bear witness. And so he begins this second major speech of Acts covering many of the points that he covered in the first one, primarily the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the call to repentance. And so Peter, once again, is explaining to the people what it is that they're seeing, what it is that they are experiencing. It's not just the healing of a lame man, but it's the healing of humanity that is happening through Jesus. And so he says, repent, turn, turn, Reorient your life to this new way of being. Redirect your life toward Jesus. So we could spend a lot of time here, but let's continue on. Starting in chapter 4, we're going to skip through the rest of Peter's sermon. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And so we had the people who were astonished, and now we have the people who were disturbed. And disturbed is just a nice way to put it, right? The, these guys are mad. Here, here, here we have Peter and John, these uneducated country folk, coming in, teaching the people. That's problem enough there. Teaching the people, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, declare, declaring that Jesus has risen from the dead. This is not okay. This is not okay to be happening in their temple. Not when they're the ones in power, when they're the ones who can control what's being said. But they can chain up the people, but they cannot chain up the gospel. They can lock Peter and John up, but even with them being in prison, people are still believing. Everything's gone viral. You can't hold it all together, you can't keep it from happening. Verse 5, the next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power and by what name do you do this? Now these are the same leaders who just a couple months earlier put Jesus on trial and sent him off to be crucified. I think sometimes we read this story and we see it very disconnected from the scenes of the end of Luke, where we see the story of Jesus being arrested, put on trial, and crucified. But these two scenes are very much connected to one another. That Peter is standing in the same place that Jesus was being accused of things. The same place where Jesus is put on trial by these same leaders And they say, by what authority are you saying these things? By what authority are you teaching and speaking? And so what did Peter do the first time this happened? He fled. When Jesus is arrested, Peter runs. When Jesus is taken and put in front of the authorities for trial, Peter goes and denies even knowing Jesus. He's at a distance. Separating himself from Jesus. And here we have Peter in the same circumstance. And now we have a completely transformed person. Because now Peter is bold. Peter is courageous. Peter is the one speaking. And he is asked this question by the high priest. On what authority are you doing these things? In verse 8, love this scene. Peter, of all the screw-ups, of all the people who make a misstep in their faith journey, it's Peter who says, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man, To a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed? You're asking us this? Then we're going to tell you. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified just a couple months ago. You crucified him, but whom God raised from the dead. And this man stands before you healed. Jesus, Jesus, the one who was on trial here that you crucified. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found through no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, can you imagine this scene? Peter, standing before the authorities, standing before those with power, and saying, you want to know what authority this is done with? You want to know how this man was healed? It is by Jesus. Jesus, the one you crucified. What guts, what boldness, what power of the Spirit to allow Peter to speak in such a way. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. First, the people were astonished by the healing of the lame man, and now they are astonished by the courage of Peter and John, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They know. It's only been a couple months removed. They know who Peter and John are, they know their relationship with Jesus, they know what has happened. And so, how can Peter be so bold? is because we have seen the transforming work of the Spirit in Peter's life. It is through the power of the Spirit. Verse 14, But since they could see the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They can't deny it. Here is the evidence right here. This man they all know. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, And they conferred together. We don't really know what to do, so you guys leave the room so we can talk. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. We want this thing to stop. We don't want it to spread any further. So our solution is going to be to command them to stop speaking. Then they called them in again and commanded them, stop speaking in the name of Jesus, But Peter and John. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And you can imagine, kind of ruffled up and trying to pull themselves together and compose themselves. And after further threats, they let them go, whatever those threats were. You better not do that. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. A full generation of people knew this man. And knew that he had been lame and now he could walk. And so now the powerful, those in authority, these rulers, they don't know what to do. They have this message of Jesus that is spreading uncontrollably. And they're doing everything that they can to hold on to their power. And they are stunned. And so they just tell them, don't do it anymore. And Peter's like, "Um, (laughs) who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the authorities around me? Am I going to listen to the culture around me? Am I, I going to listen to what's safe? Am I going to stay in that light? Or am I going to go where it's dangerous? Because that's where the truth is at. Am I going to go where God is calling me into? Or am I going to stay where it's safe? Peter and John could have made this thing go a lot easier just by saying, ah, sorry, we'll go. Won't do it anymore. But no, Peter gets up and says, I'm not going to listen to you. I've got to judge with a lot more authority than you. And God is telling us that this is what's happening. And I cannot deny what I've seen. I cannot deny what I have heard. Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Messiah. And you can deny that, and you can try to explain it away, and you can try to brush that under the rug, but it's still the truth. And that's the truth that I will boldly proclaim. And so, verse 23, Peter and John are released, and they go back to their own people. They tell them everything that's happened. And so when they heard this, what did they do? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And there's this incredible prayer of the believers here. That after this persecution, after this difficult place, after the Spirit has filled Peter and John and allowed them to speak in this way, they pray to God and they say, Sovereign Lord, you make the heavens and the earth. You're the one who's in control. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, Indeed, Herod and and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and they, they had Jesus crucified. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is their prayer. They're not praying for protection. They're not praying that they will change the minds of the leaders. They're not They're not praying that there will be a new person in power or that the election will change in a different way. What they're praying for is that they will have boldness, that they will be able to speak the words of God with boldness. They say, stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servants. And after this prayer... This prayer of believers that say, allow us to speak with boldness. Allow us to speak the truth in a place that is hostile towards the truth. In that moment, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so here we have this new community coming together, now being threatened, now being persecuted. But they don't try to do it alone. There's this larger community of believers around them. They can't stand strong as an individual. They can't stand strong alone. And the moment they find, uh, they come back and, and, and report to them everything that has happened, what is their immediate response? Their immediate response is to pray. That in the midst of what is going on, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the darkness and, and the, the attacks, their response is to pray. Prayer is the first and the greatest response response. And so as a family, as a community of faith, we should be turning each other toward God in prayer. When there is a crisis among us, we should be turning to prayer. When there's difficulties among us, we should be turning to prayer. When there's need for healing, we should be turning to prayer. When there's divisiveness and confusion, we should be turning to prayer. For there is fear, we should be turning to prayer. For there's hurt, we should be turning to prayer. The church prayed. And so as we wrap up, here's a few different takeaways as we look through this whole story. First, this episode started with a simple act of compassion. There was a man sitting outside of the temple, sitting outside of the gates, and in this momentary act of compassion, it set into motion all of these other things. Peter and John were on their way to do something else. They were on their way to go into the temple and pray. But they paused, they took time, and they acted compassionately towards this lame man. Second thing we see is the testimony of this lame man, this testimony of a changed life. Here we see everything snowballing this viral spreading of the gospel. First it was in this act of compassion, and now it's the testimony of a changed life that this man is, is jumping up and down. He is celebrating what God has done, and it is his changed life that people see and are in astonishment of. God does something for this man. And then the crowd gathers, and in that moment, Peter speaks, and more lives are changed. The third thing that we see here is that it's all happening outside of the church walls. It's happening outside of the temple. That God is moving outside of the church, moving outside of, of, of the establishments. We see most moves of God here happening on the outside and then that revival breaks out and then it gets to the rulers and gets to the authorities and they wonder, what in the world is going on here? And so when you think about the role that you play, God wants to do something with you and it's probably something that's going to happen outside of these walls, God wants to move through you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your schools. God wants to move through you. And so will you be a part of that? And then finally, we see this great transformation of Peter. This fear being transformed to courage. He was the one who denied. He's the one who deserted. He's the one who now is standing before them with great courage. And so, are there places where you have failed? Places where you have failed Jesus? You have denied. You have not stood up. You have not spoken with boldness. We all have those. These places, these opportunities that are missed but we don't get stuck there. We don't stay there. We can pray, God, speak through us. God, give me the courage to speak with boldness. We don't have to let the mistakes of the past, the missed opportunities of the past, hold us back from continuing to move forward with courage. The Spirit of God fills us empowers us, gives us great courage. And so as we come together, as we gather every Sunday, it's an opportunity for us to encourage one another, a time for us to, to be refilled, to be inspired. But it's a time for us to go out beyond the walls of this church, beyond what's comfortable, beyond what's known, beyond what's expected, and move with great courage, empowered by the Spirit. Let's be standing together. We're going to have a time of prayer now, a time for us to, to take our concerns to God. We, we need to be praying with boldness. The church gathered together and they prayed. They prayed for healing, they prayed for boldness, they prayed for courage. So what is it that you need prayer for today? I want to encourage you to to step out and pray with somebody. We'll have shepherds down front. You can pray uh, with friends or you can pray with people in your life group, people in your classes. I want to encourage you to step out and pray. May God make us bold. What is the situation that you're facing this week where you need that boldness? Who is it that you are going to be with? What is it that you need to confront What is it that you need to deal with? What relationships will you have? What paths will be crossed this week? And how can you be bold in those moments? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the name of Jesus. that is powerful. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we will be bold that we will be courageous, that we will speak your truth, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of darkness. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for boldness for this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.